Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the president of PPR Note Company, David Van Horn. David is an expert in the financial and real estate sectors with more than 30 years of experience in residential and commercial property acquisition and management and other experiences as a life and annuity insurance agent. He currently works as president of PPR Note Company. PPR is a note fund investing company built on the success of David's real estate ventures, allowing clients to contact a board of experts when they need an investment that can meet their needs for return, terms, and liquidity. PPR Note Company is growing like crazy. So David, my friend, let's get to it. Thank you for being here. Uh, my pleasure. Well, tell me this. We, all, we took our, our, our stab at, at, at your origin story, uh, but where did it start? How did you get into this line of work? To be quite honest, it was by accident. So we, I guess in 2007, I had, uh, you know, I had, was a real estate agent and uh, an investor, real estate investor, and obviously the market was tanking around 2008. We started this company just before that. Uh, we did kind of see the writing on the wall. A lot of our, you know, I was an investor friendly realtor and a lot of the financing was starting to dry up. So your, you know, your business was going another direction. And uh, we actually started a short sale company to do short sales with the bank, which means to offer less than what's owed on the mortgage kind of thing with the bank, basically negotiating a, an asset with the bank. And um that company failed actually. And we had this note business, which is uh, we would buy delinquent notes and mortgages, which is, you know, really a, like a mortgage on your house. And um, we, we started out as investors. And I remember my partner was working on that business in like the back room of the office we were in. And then the main business obviously flopped. And then this little note business kind of kept going and took off. And in, in the beginning, we started with our own money Um and years, years previous to that, I had raised capital for like commercial real estate ventures and things like that. So we were like, hey, how about raising some money for this to go buy delinquent mortgages from banks? And uh, we started out buying junior liens, which are like second is, mortgages and things like okay. that, which are perceived as you know pretty risky by most people. <laughs> and uh, we, we basically became experts in that and uh, did pretty well, actually, and then started raising... Uh, private equity, you know, capital from outside investors. And it just kind of snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. And um, today we still have a channel that does that. That's quite large. Uh, you know, we have some uh, institutional type JV partners today um, where it's pretty significant. And we have a lot of institutional capital behind us today. Whereas years ago we didn't, we were just these couple guys you know, <laughs> yeah, funding one deal at a time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it just kind of snowballed. So what, at least then, what was the business? Uh, forgive my ignorance, but you, you, it, you it, buy it, the note. In a way, it wasn't even really a business. It was like an investment vehicle. And our goal was, to, hey, let's go buy these assets, get them reperforming. And we'll, you know, we could live off the cash flow kind of thing. It was almost it's, like cash flow without, you know, tenants or whatever, because you would just own mortgages. And you didn't have to deal with repairs or 
things like that. So we were like, oh, this is kind of a neat business. But then we turned it into a business and, you know, oh, obviously I see. today it's a heavily well, regulated business today, right? So back then it wasn't as regulated as it is now. And, uh, you know, so little- you, you, you acquire the mortgage and then the people living there pay you instead. Is that yeah, what we, it is? We we're basically the bank. We would be. Oh, so we would buy distressed assets from banks and servicers and uh, government agencies even today. Um, and then that business grew and grew and grew. And uh, we do quite a bit of that. So that's one of our channels. Um, and then we have another channel that does um, short-term business loans, which are like fix and flip loans or bridge loans or construction loans. And we buy them from originators. And we also, sometimes we're the capital behind those originations. So we're like a facility. And then we also uh, buy assets from banks that, you know, are like uh, commercial originated loans, you know, for construction or, or like a bridge loan. So we'll, sometimes we, we work with a couple of parties that originate these loans and then we buy those loans from them, you know. So that's okay. our second channel. And then our third channel is we do some commercial uh, real estate investing, like multifamily. Got it. Got it. So back when you were first doubling down, it sounds like on this business, what was the most challenging part to see it really take off? Um, well, I always like to say there's like three pillars to the business. It was capital sources of product or deals, and then the scalability question and I think for us, it was different things over different periods of time. So if you ask me the same question, you know, which is your priority, it would shift. So in the beginning, it was capital. And then as you get more capital, well, I need more deal flow or yeah. I need more personnel to handle it. Or, you know, so it becomes this, I would say vicious cycle. It becomes a cycle that one of them is always kind of leading the charge as to, you know, screaming the loudest hey, we need more people or we need more capital or we need more deals or product or whatever. So I think it's that way with any business because you know I've been a business owner previous too. I was a contractor, for example. So it's always uh, something like that with it, just about any business in my mind. You know. Gotcha. All right, well, let's start with those, those three pillars and let's just look at them one at a time. The first one was raising capital. What, what was the... What was the challenge like what was the lessons learned How, what what was that like to go out and raise capital well it was in the beginning it was pretty difficult because <laughs> i was just a blue collar guy in the beginning um and we were only able to raise capital from high net worth people well in the beginning i didn't really know that many high net worth people sure or you know i didn't know how to approach them i didn't know how to you know pitch this offering you know that kind of thing uh, I was kind of fortunate when I was in the commercial real estate uh, arena previous that I had uh, learned a little bit about raising capital for this company I worked for where they were raising capital for commercial real estate deals. So I learned a lot by working for them. And then I kind of was doing it now for my own company. Um, so there was a lot I learned there and, uh, you know, dealing with the high net worth, you know, how do you add value for, to those folks? And then, um, you know, how do you, you know, build trust and confidence and become top of mind for them? You know, it takes some, takes some doing. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you could, if you could create a a miniature masterclass on (laughs) taking you, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was, uh, 
and take you through a course that would have helped you there, what would be the things you would have learned how to do to do that effectively? Oh, wow. I, well, I think, um, well, I'd still like to probably take a public speaking course, right? That, that can help <laughs> us all. Yeah. Uh, Cause you never know when you're, you could be at a PTA meeting, you're gonna have to get up and talk at some point. So speaking's probably helpful. Um, I, I definitely could use improvement there myself. I was fortunate I had some sales training because I was a real estate sales. I had done some insurance sales. So I think as you know, CEOs, we're, all, we're always selling our business or our company or our employee, whatever. You're, you're always, I feel like we're always in a sales area where I think that's all beneficial to us. Those kind of soft skills, I think, are, are critical to almost anybody yeah. um, that are helpful. So I don't know if I'm answering that question for you, but yeah, no, there, there's no angle. I, I'm gen, just genuinely curious because I've not been in those conversations. Right. So uh, yeah. just getting you to kind of pull out that, that reflection, you know, maybe we can flip it on its head and say, if so, when someone, not if, cause I know they do this, when someone comes to you for investment and they need a loan or they, they want you to invest in something, what is likely going to make you lean in and pay attention? And what are the things that might make you put your defenses up and not give them the time of day? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, one is uh, being clear on who you are, what you're doing, where you're going, and knowing your buy box, so to speak. You what know, knowing what your parameters are of what you entertain, you know, what is your ideal client kind of thing. Uh, you know, how to identify that ideal client. And it, it, one of the things I learned earlier on, too, was to have, you know, multiple levels of service for, for different levels of client, too. Whereas in the beginning, I made the mistake of, you know, the phone would ring and I'd spend two hours with somebody who wasn't necessarily a high value client. I had no like screening system in my phone system or my online system where you want to have some kind of filters that where I'm, you know, spending the most time with the most relevant folks, not no disrespect to anyone else, but sure. giving them adequate, um, you know, attention and response based on who they are, meeting them where they're at, you know. Uh, giving appropriate level of service for who that client was, was a lesson for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think we yeah. all make that uh, mistake. If you've been in business, uh, I'm, I'm sure you, most people can relate to that. Um, you know, how you build out those systems and processes, that kind of thing. For sure. And then I'm assuming the numbers have to make sense, right? On some, some level, there's boxes you're looking to check, like what's the return I'm going to get on this and, does this even feel like a feasible project or something like that? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely uh, a lot of vetting and diligence. Uh, you know, we have a whole vetting system for whether it's an operator or JV partner or an actual deal. We have all these parameters of things we look like, look at, and either they fit the, you know, the box or not, or they, the check boxes. Uh, and then you're kind of narrowing it down and then, and then you're taking a harder look at, you know, whatever it is you're going to move forward on, you know? Yeah. How big of a factor is it, and it's okay if it's a non-factor or anywhere in between a huge factor, is the person themselves that's approaching you and the way that they approach you or the, the judge of their character and integrity or something like that? Is that a part of the process? It's probably near the top. I mean, mm. it's all about, you know, are we going to be a good match? Do they have similar core values to us? Do they, you know... Are they trustworthy on it? You know, all the normal things that you would think about because you want to do with business with people you like and trust, right? I know right. I do. Um, and then some of that's a trust and verify thing where, you know, there can be bad actors in there. I'm, I'm sure we've all dealt with uh, people we wish we hadn't. 
So, yeah. Um, but we, we have some tools for that and we, uh, I think we're getting better and better as time goes on. Um, you know, we've, we've had our heart, I'm sure we've had horror stories just like anybody else, uh, as far as, uh, growing pains and things like that. But Sure. Sure. Yeah. You come across a bad actor once by surprise and it, it's forever on your radar from that point on, <laughs> uh, especially when they slip through some disguise and you're like, Oh man, I didn't have any of my defenses up and got taken advantage of. So for the second pillar, you were talking about increasing deal flow, right? Let's say you got capital and now you, you, you got to figure out just how to get more deals coming through. What was the key or what has been some of the keys to, 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 to doing that? You know, it, sometimes it's a who, not what, you know, and, um, you know, a lot of times when we think we need something, we think we have to do it or we have to solve it or we have to fix it. And um, I know for our deal flow, one of the best things that catapulted us was actually a consultant that we hired who really opened a lot of doorways, things like that, or getting the right JV partner where they were able to really catapult us. We brought value to them in some ways, and then they were able to, you know, exchange value back to us. So I think it's just finding that synergy of, you know, being transparent, being, you know, having an abundance mindset a little bit. Um, you know, I know sometimes we have, we fall into the scarcity mindset where we feel we have to keep things close to the vest and that, you know, nobody does it better than us. And we got to, you know, and you got to kind of look past some of that stuff. Um, and I think we've, we've done very well since we've kind of broadened that into, you know, being a little more flexible, uh, trying to swim more in a blue ocean than a red ocean sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you mentioned uh, who, not how. Is that intentionally from uh, the book, who, not how? Yeah, there is a book out. Uh, yeah, I wish I had that idea and it was mine, but it's not. <laughs> um, but no, sometimes we're all, you know, it's, uh, you know, I used to have a coach when I was in birthing at giants uh, a few years back and he would always ask me the same questions every couple of months. And it would be like, what can you leverage in the next six to 12 months? That's going to catapult you and your business or your personal life. And the answer to that question would periodically change. You know, one time he'd ask me and it's, well, I need new technology or I need this JV partner. Or I need to hire, you know, CFO or whatever, it, you know, it could be all different things. It could be, you know, it could be education, it could be a person, it could be a technology, it could be something that would catapult me. And I guess we could say that about that in our personal life, too. You know, what would catapult things? Yeah. And what was interesting is, you know, I'd circle back six or six months later with him and he'd ask the same question, but the answers would change. Um, but it's all about what he's really asking is, what can you leverage? Yeah. You know, what, what relationships can you leverage? technology, capital, you name it, you know, what, yeah. is, what is that thing that you, you can leverage? And I think that's something that, um, you know, looking back, if I were to, you know, what could I have leveraged more of sooner? Um, you know, we, you know, it's funny when I was young, I used to think, oh, if you want to make more money, you just work harder or you just work two jobs or you just work three jobs. And then, you know, I was married with a couple of kids and I'm like, I don't have any more hours in a day. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm exhausted. My wife's working. I'm working two jobs. I'm like, this is crazy. Um, so you know what I mean. So you quickly realize that you have to start to leverage something. Yeah. Um, and I think the earlier that we do that, 
um, that we figure things out of, you know, what can we leverage? And it's also figuring out what you're good at and then trying to um, not necessarily be good at everything. Like, I doubt I'm going to speak French very well. I'm not going to play guitar very good. And uh, I'm not that great at golf. So, and I, you know, I don't know that I have 10 hours, 10,000 hours to, to, <laughs> to apply to all of it. it. But, um, <laughs> and I'm not saying you don't work on your faults at all. I don't, I don't mean that. Um, yeah. But you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, I had a, I guess a mindset shift or a challenge one time. I grew up watching the movie Rudy. Do you remember Rudy? Yeah. Beautiful movie. So inspiring. And this does not take away from that, by the way. It's still an inspiring story. It's still awesome. But I remember one time, like watching that that movie as I was older and going, man, that guy sure put a whole lot of time in to get in one play of a meaningless game at the end of a season. (laughs) And it just kind of hit me. Like, again, not taken away from him or whatever, but like, I just remember thinking, I wonder if his time and energy could have been spent elsewhere to where if he put the same level of energy in, he would have gotten a really great return. Right. Where he could have been top of his class. He could have been excelling in engineering or something. But instead, again, it's his decision. I'm not judging the guy personally, but the story is somebody that's put in an insane amount of effort to get in one play in a meaningless game against Georgia Tech when the game was all but over. and They let him get on the field and play. Right. Right. And I'm like, sometimes we do that with our weaknesses. Of course, we need to round out our blind spots. You know, I heard Mike Tyson talk about blind spots being just like, can you, um, can you learn to have a defense for you for where you might get knocked out? Right. So right. it's like, yeah, we need to, leave, we need to bring our weaknesses up to a certain level where it's not going to take us out. Right? right. But after that, man, like we need to be smart about getting the best return on our investment of time, energy, or money. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that kind of how you're thinking about it? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when I started to shift my thinking to what my real strengths were, and just focus my time on that or the most valuable use of my time. Like we all, you'll see a lot of people try to manage their money, but they don't really manage their time very well. And it's funny, you know, I used to think I was pretty good at that, but recently I was with a, uh, a guy that runs a couple billion dollar fund and he was telling me his daily schedule. And I'm like, wow, my schedule's not like that. (laughs) I got some work to do, you know? And I'm like, um, what stood out? What stood out is the difference between the way he was scheduling his time versus the way you are currently. It it was kind of neat. He was very well balanced. Um, you know, he, which was something you wouldn't expect, you know, you would expect that, you know, it's one thing, like, I'm sure we all know people that are super successful or super wealthy, but they're divorced or the kids don't talk to them or they're something else in their life's a mess or something. Sure. Yeah. And what, what I found interesting about this guy was he seemed pretty well balanced, whether it was with, you know, financial, his faith, his fulfillment in life, you know, he seemed to be really well balanced and it made me realize, you know, there's a lot of other areas in my life that I could work on, whether it's my friends or my family or my, you know, because there's only so many hours in a day. And, um, so you saw that reflected in his actual calendar. Well, I, sh- I saw how he would combine things in his, uh, you know, he, well, he was a morning person and I, I am too. Um, and, and that's probably something I would recommend to people is, you know, like the miracle morning type stuff Sure. where, um, not saying I want to get up at three in the morning or anything. Um, but I do like to get some things done in the, in the first thing in the morning, you know, morning, you know, where I'll do some meditation or prayer and then some 
exercise and, and reading and writing because that's you know stuff I like to do. And um, I, I just find it, it's nice to get a lot of that out of the way before the day gets, I don't say away from you, but before the day starts impacting you. What was interesting about him is he, he kind of combined work and family and vacations. It was interesting how he did that. Um, and even his exercise, like he would walk to work. You know, he lived in Florida. He would walk to work and he would, um, he'd be doing his call. His first calls to his key people would be on that walk to work. And every day on that walk to work, he talked to one of his key reports that. Yeah. You know, and it was just interesting. I'm like, wow, he's combining exercise. He's getting outside. He's in the sunshine. He's going to work. He's talking and he's, and he's, he, it was just the way he was doing things throughout his day. Uh, it was impressive. Um, and I'm not saying it was, you know, sure. We could all over schedule, you know, it's sure. not hard to do. Um, but it made me rethink, you know, just like coming out of uh, COVID with the pause, it's kind of make, made us all stop for a minute and say, Hey, what was I doing? You know, what, what do I want to do now? And you're, you know, it's funny, you'll hear people about, Hey, things are going to get back to normal and start back up and all this other stuff. But I think everybody's kind of going, yeah, some of these things I want to start back up, but some of these things I don't, you know, yeah. uh, some of these things I want to rethink how I was spending my time and what I was doing and where was I working and who was I with and how was I having fun and was it, you know, all those things you're saying to yourself in the back of your mind. Do I want things to be identical to the way they were? Because they were pretty hectic. Yeah. And then yeah. we all kind of got a wake up call. You know, it just showed us how we're not in control. There could be a, you know, I don't know, a man upstairs, depending on what you think, who's thinking differently. Yeah. And uh, it's not always our plan or in our control. And then it made us realize, you know, what, what are the important things to us? And they're all different for everybody. I, I understand that. But it does... I think it was that opportunity, right? It was a good opportunity to pause and rethink about, Hey, what are we doing? You know, what do we enjoy? You know, in some ways I think I got closer to my spouse and my family and I appreciate certain things that I had, I don't want to say forgot about, but you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that idea. I call it recycling time where if I, if I can't find time to add to my calendar, is there anything in there that I could recycle that I could, Add a purpose, add, a, add gonna, another purpose. I'm going to write that one down and steal that. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. How can we recycle this time? It's already on the calendar. It's already devoted to something. Is there anything I could add to it that wouldn't take away from it? And so if I add something to it and it takes away from it, that's not really, that's not, that's not helpful. Right. But right. that your example is a good one. So I have a meeting. We, uh, we kind of run our business currently off of that EOS system, the entrepreneur right. operating system. And so on Mondays we have an L10 meeting. It's an hour and a half meeting. Yeah, level same. 10. So we do our L10 meetings, right? And I'm sitting here in this room that I'm in. You're, you're getting to see, you know, if, if people are not watching, I'm in my room, you know, upstairs that I've converted into an office. Uh, and I'm in here almost all day. And I'm on Zoom calls all day, doing coaching yeah. calls, doing meetings, doing trainings, doing all this kind of stuff, doing it's interviews exhausting. like this. <laughs> exhausting. And now I'm on an hour and a half meeting that I really know is important. But I just started noticing it was really hard for me to stay focused. And so I started thinking, man, I miss being outside. Can I find time to go out and take a walk? And my calendar just wasn't allowing a lot of it. And I was like, I could do this. Like it just hit me. I was like, I could do this while on a walk. They don't need to see my face. Like this is a, this is an example. And I asked them, are you guys cool? 
if if my camera's off, but I'm I'm here and I'm gonna I'm gonna be on a walk and I got to be outside, which we know how big a deal that is to get some vitamin D and some sunshine on your face. And I walk around my neighborhood where there's not you know traffic or you know things distracting me. But I found that I was so much more dialed in on the call, just getting to listen and move my body for a bit. And I yeah. stayed more energized. I stayed more engaged. And also, I got in, you know, an hour and a half of walking, which was yeah. really cool. And so that was just an example. And then I keep, I just always look and go, is there anywhere else I need to recycle my time? Anywhere else I could add something to it? And it sounds similar to, to you. you. You know what? This Another thing that struck me interesting about this gentleman that was telling me his schedule. And I mean, this guy uses EOS. He has 450 employees. You know, he's very... And he's young. He's, it was in his upper thirties. And, um, he said to me, um, I'm home every day at five 30 and I coach my kids sports. And I was like, wow. I go. And then I said, do they ever call you from the office? And he was like, Oh, Oh no, no, no. Like that wasn't <laughs> even like a thing. Um, so it would really have to be like almost life and death or something if somebody was reaching out to him in his family time. Yeah. I was just so blown away and impressed by that, that, um, you know, we just think it's this badge of honor to grind, grind, right. grind, like that's some kind of trophy or something. Um, and, and, you know, I remember some old guy telling me one time, he's like, Dave, the, the work will always be there, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And he's partly right. It's like, are you, you know, no one's going to remember you for that on your tombstone or anything that you work till eight o'clock every night or whatever that is, you know? Yeah. Um, have you ever read, um, have you ever, well, maybe you have because you know, real estate, but the, the one thing by Gary Keller. Oh yeah. That's a great book. Yeah. Okay. So that, that was book. another one. You know, when you read the right thing at the right time, like if you'd read yeah. it in a different season, maybe it wouldn't have resonated the way I read did. that once a year, at least I yeah. pull it out again and reread it. That's so, like a nightstand book. Yes. So I had, I had kind of two big epiphanies. Well, three, I had three big epiphanies that, that like really stuck with me. And one was when he started talking about that we're all, I, I think I'm right on this. I think it was five. That we're all juggling five balls at any given time. And it was like your professional, a professional one is, would be one of the balls you're juggling your personal health, your spouse, maybe, or like your, your family, uh, your integrity, and something else. I can't remember what the fifth one was. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've never organized the things in my life in those categories. But yeah, that's right. probably right. I've got my business I'm running. I've got my wife and my kids. I've got my friends. I've got my health. And, and then I love they threw integrity in there. And I was like, oh, and I've got like my character and my integrity. Okay. And then he said, the mistake we make is we treat one of them like they're made of glass and the other four like they're made of rubber. But I would challenge you that they're more like the opposite. And he said, we all treat the professional ball we're juggling like it's made of glass, that it's the one thing we can't drop because, right. oh, babe, you know, we say it all the time. It's work. I got to do it. Like, I got to take the call. I, I can't drop this ball. And he said, in my humble opinion, I've found the professional ball to be much more elastic than we give it credit for, that True. it can bounce back. And he's like, I'm not telling you to, to uh, uh, undervalue any of these. But he said, we need to realize the other four are made of more of glass than you would like to think. He said, if you neglect your health too long, it can, it can go away and you can't get it back. If you neglect your family too long, they can go away and you can't get it back. Right. And so, man, I just remember literally sitting up and I pulled my phone up. It was middle of the night. I, I was listening on Audible 
And I just made a note, five balls, four made of, four made of glass, one is made of rubber. <laughs> and it started making me think about that. Like, okay, am yeah. I creating intentionality? Am I creating space and protecting time with my family, my integrity, whatever, uh, my faith, all those different kinds of things. And then what else he said was when you start living kind of the one thing idea, you have to get people around you to readjust to your new way of handling your, your priorities and your life. So he said there's an adjustment period because one of the things he talks about in that book is like, yeah, once you identify the one thing, block off the first mornings of your hour or sorry, the first hours of your morning to, to getting that done before you do the rest of the day. And he said, you'll notice your team's not used to that. So they'll try to interrupt you. They'll try to get you to come, you know, talk about something or whatever. And he's like, you got to basically retrain them during these hours. I'm focused on my one thing and I can't be dis disturbed. And he said, eventually they will But you go through an awkward period of like re almost like retraining people you know? Yeah. And I, it sounds like if, if you and I were to do that, what this guy's doing, like, Hey, I'm done at this time. Don't call me. There's going to be a period of time that people are going to be confused and we have to kind of lovingly stick to our boundaries and retrain. This is not okay for you to call me after work. And I'll, and then they'll, but, but when I, when can I call you? And then you've got to figure that out. Well, that'll be tomorrow morning or a, B and C. Does that make sense? Oh, perfectly. I mean, just that question of what's the one thing that'll make everything else irrelevant or less important. Yeah, e like, yeah, easier what? or irrelevant. Easier or irrelevant. And, and I'm like, wow, that's that's a powerful question to ask about every area of your life almost. And, you know, like you said, just the focus time. I, I think that was one of the things that's coming out of the situation uh, recently is that you know, a lot of us were working from home. So we do have a lot more focus. I, in some ways, I think we were getting more done. And I, I think that could be part of the reason people are somewhat exhausted too. Yes. So it, I, I, I feel like I've worked harder than I ever have over the last year and a half, you know, whether you're pivoting or doing some things differently, it made you reevaluate everything. Plus you're doing your normal work, right? You're, it, it, you're kind of, you know, it was kind of oh, both yeah. going on. You're like, wow, should we really be doing this? Should we really be, you know, everybody started looking at everything. Right? So, yep. um, so there's some exhaustion coming out of that too. I think, um, you yeah, know. the most, I, I told people this all the time, the most requested training that my company has been doing over the last year has been energy management, like without a shadow of a doubt, helping people, yeah. actually take, uh, learn how to not get into survival or burnout zone and actually manage their own energy physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually to get to a place where they feel like I can, I can actually sustain high performance because everyone was exhausted. That's the only thing I can think of is literally at the end of that year, people were just like, this has taxed me emotionally. This has taxed me mentally as well as, you know, the thing I saw too is we lost natural boundaries. Yeah. So we had these natural boundaries of leaving the home to go to work and, whether you did that well or not, there was still a natural boundary of I'm not at home anymore. I'm in work mode. And right. then you would leave work to go home. And maybe you didn't do that well, but there was still a natural boundary. That's hard to define all that. It's gone. Like right now, dude, I got three. I just called you dude. So right now I've got three of my, my only three, my three kids downstairs. Right. I, it took a long time to work with them and in a sense, train them not to come upstairs when the door is shut and locked. The daddy is at work. <laughs> it took even more conversations sure. and negotiations with my wife around when I could pitch in and help versus when I needed, to, when I needed her to treat it like I was gone at work, right? Yeah. And it's like people are probably exhausted not knowing how to bring in boundaries when they were all just gone. Yeah, now you're so right. It's like when do we turn off? If I'm working from home, 
when, when, when is the natural boundary to, to shut it off? When do I shut the email off? When do I shut my brain off? You know, yeah. when am I, am I allowed to go out on a walk? I mean, I told someone I was coaching today. Oh, or you feel guilty. You know, you're like, I feel like I should be at work. <laughs> yeah. And I told her, I was like, why, why don't you go take a 20 minute walk when you feel really exhausted in the middle of the day? And she was like, uh, I'm allowed to do that. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, who's going to tell you you can't? <laughs> it, as long as that 20 minute walk does what it needs to do and it rejuvenates you and gets your mind clear again or whatever, the rest of your day is going to thank you that you took that 20 minutes to, to take a break instead of being in the same room with the same light, staring at the same screen all day. And your productivity is just diminishing over time. That's so true. Okay. So we're geeking out right now on leverage. And I wanted to ask you back to this leverage question, because it's something that I'm challenged right now with as a business owner that I wrote down that question. What can you leverage in the next six to nine months that would catapult your business? I love that question. <laughs> and so what I would love to know, and this may be difficult because you've maybe there's been so many seasons you've found different things, but does anything come to mind as an example of something that when you ask that question, uh, whether overtly or you were just in that mode of thinking, that you saw something that provided leverage that did bring a catapult-like effect to your business? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing was um, JV partners and operators. Because in, in the beginning of my company, we were the operator. We were the asset manager. We, I don't say micromanaged everything, you know? Yeah, you wore um, all the hats. But, but what we were able to do was to now we outsource a lot of things and we're more of a capital allocator than an asset manager. So we kind of pivoted the firm and we're doing what we do best, which is the capital side. And then we're allocating. We're good at surveilling the assets because we used to be asset managers, but we're no longer being the asset manager. We're letting people who are actually better at it than us, who are better at sourcing than us are better at asset management than us. Uh, and they're actually, they have better execution than we did. So it was either, I'm not saying we could have never done it. Sure. Over 20 years, we'd probably get good at it, but yeah, where we could yeah. hire enough people that would be or whatever, or we can stay, I don't want to say small necessarily, but nimble and really capitalize on our strengths and continue to, you know, out, outsource these areas. And, and what we found was, you know, some of these JVs have been game changing. I mean, uh, and I think the company's become a lot more valuable from it as well. Uh, and we've learned a lot too. And we've opened up doors that we would have never been able to, you know, we've gotten access to cheaper capital, institutions, sourcing that we would have never gotten. You know, we have JV partners that have their own trade desks. You know, it would have been a long time before we could have built our own trade desk. You know, it would have just been, it's just so much quicker. What, forgive you my know, when I When I look back at it, I was like, wow, you, you, you can really accelerate things. And, and the one consultant that I had, in all honesty, had taken a company from zero to two billion in five years. And he sold his position and the company's up at about five billion in assets right now. So he's actually, he was coaching me. And I guess that's a, a lesson too, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, ask for help, so to speak, humble yourself and say, yeah, you don't know everything. Uh, I, I know we all like to think we have this, we got this, but sometimes getting that pair of eyes from outside of somebody that's been there and done that ahead of you, uh, unless you're, you know, inventing something or, <laughs> right, you know, right. 
uh, I don't know that there's much of what I'm doing that hasn't been done before, although I might be doing it a little different way, but you get the idea. I don't yeah. think I'm inventing anything here. So, so the question I have, and I, I, I said it earlier, forgive my ignorance, but can you, can you elaborate on what a JV partner is and what role they were, you were inviting them to play that gave you some leverage? Yeah, sure. Like, like the one, uh, the one JV partner, we were, we were working assets ourselves. You know, we, we would raise all our own money, go buy the assets and work the assets. Um, what we were able to do with our JV partner was they have a company that's probably 10 times bigger than us. Um, they were also had access to a lot cheaper capital from institutions than we did, but they were an asset management company, but they didn't own anything. And by us partnering with them, they were able to own the company that we partnered with. And we were able to be their initial capital that enabled them to be owners instead of just asset managers. So it was a big win for them, but we were able to tap into their trade desk. We were able to tap into their institutional capital, things like that. And it, it was a win for them and a win for us. We were both able to catapult ourselves, elevate ourselves. And then they also had a second channel of these commercial loans that we weren't even in the commercial loan space that now all of a sudden we are in that because they had an auxiliary company and then now we're partnered with their auxiliary company. So we were able to diversify into another channel, um, you know, give, up, give us a little more depth, um, you know, different market cycles, things like that with these two different asset classes. Yeah. Uh, so we, and, you know, it was a win-win for both sides again. And then, you know, we're doing another one right now, you know, with, an, with other JV partners as well, whether it's in multifamily or commercial real estate, um, you know, I you know, I have a good friend that's been an operator for a long time, probably 20 years or so. Um, so I don't have to go out and be, you know, the explorer with the arrow in my back. I can tap into my good friend's business and he's an operator and we can team up and I can be capital for him and we can leverage his expertise and he can leverage our fundraising capabilities and we can make his life easier and he can make our life easier and we can both win. Right. So it's, it's more about, um, you know, less about competition and more about coopetition or something yeah. I don't know what the word is, but it's kind of like a, you know, we don't always have to be that way. I think there's, you know, more of an abundance thing again, you know, that there's plenty to go around where, you know, yeah, I could go and try to do everything myself and go, for example, I could go source all my own multifamily and go hire a bunch of people to do everything and micromanage and control it all. Or I can uh, JV partner with some good operators. And if I get a half a dozen to a dozen operators and I can allocate significant capital to each one each year for the next five or 10 years, you know, I can have quite a nice size portfolio, well diversified throughout a lot of MSAs, you know, a lot of, and do very, and do very well. And, yeah. and, and be good at what I do and they can be good at what they do. Um, How did, it's just a different approach, right? Yeah. And that's why I want to stay on this for a little bit, because if you've not thought in this way and you're listening like I am, where I've been learning to think this way, but uh, I use the word learning on purpose. It's still <laughs> a part of an arc. Um, your mind starts turning and you start, it starts leading to questions like what parts of the business need leverage? What would be, something we outsource versus we, we keep in house. How did you guys make the decision in terms of what we're going to, you know, keep our small focus versus what we feel comfortable or we need to find leverage and need to outsource? 
It's funny in the beginning, you know, we would outsource a lot of things because we just didn't have the staff or the people or whatever. And then we did a lot of things in-house because it was cheaper or whatever, you know? Right. And then later on, it kind of shifts over time as you grow. So what you used to insource versus what you outsource evolves, just like the business evolves, just like the needs evolve. Right. And then later on you get at, I don't know. It, it, forget a guy showed me this like triage of awesome, like three circles. It's like what you're good at, what you like to do, and what you make money at. And if you can get those three to overlap, you're in the triage of awesome or something. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, whether that's about your job or whatever. Well, it's kind of the same thing, right? It's like just because you're doing something doesn't mean you should be doing it, right? And that was a, a lesson for me too. Like there's things that you are okay at doing, but are you really the best at it? Yeah. And is that holding you back? So I'll give you an example because I was in like real estate and insurance. I know a little bit about marketing. And when the company was in its infancy, well, Dave knows a little bit about marketing. We'll get hey, Dave to do it, right? <laughs> like, but then the company starts to really grow and you're like, well, Dave kind of sucks at marketing. He's really not a director of marketing at this point. So you you become the weakest link at some point, even though yeah. you, you were the go-to person in the beginning. Sometimes it's coming to grips with that saying, yeah, I know a little bit about marketing, but am I really the level of marketing I need to be for you know a multi-million or billion dollar fund? I think I need to bring in some stronger folks, yeah. you know, or, or whatever that is. I'm not, I'm just using that as an example. It could be something else, but I think there's a time that, you know, um, you know, like HR can be that way where it's like, oh, you're handling all the HR stuff. And then you're like, well, should you be right <laughs> at some point? You know? Yeah. Like, I think we outgrew that. I think we need to bring in, bring yeah. in an HR person here. So, so I think there's the shifts there that need to kind of take place or the growth will be stunted. Um, that's right you're you're, you're gonna be you know you're gonna cap yourself out at some level where you can't really advance the organization unless that's you what, re rethink that functional org chart of what you're you know what, where you're trying to go in your next uh you know 90 or one year five year 10 year whatever that is BHAG, yep. you're trying to go out and uh and that's where we are as a business. You know, I've mentioned this several times on the podcast because I, I want to be transparent. When I'm learning something in the, in the moment, I'm learning something in the moment, right? Like yeah. that's where we are as a business where we realize my co-founder and I are the reason we got to where the business is today. We're now the reason why it's, it's hit a choke point because too much is resting on us to do everything. And you can't yeah. scale when you run out of time. You just, if, if, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you are uh, irremovable from too many of the processes, well, then you can't, we can't scale past it. So that's why we're, we're entertaining these ideas of like, what would it look yeah. like? So what, what would that mean? Would we give what to what, who and when, and how would we pay them? And <laughs> that, do we build that ourselves and hire some people or do we outsource that? And that's why I'm asking some of these questions. No, it's funny you say that. I mean, there was a time when, you know, I had two partners and myself and there were times where we ran different divisions or, you know, a lot of the business revolved around us. Um, there was a time when the capital fundraising side was definitely my position. Today, I would say 90, 95% of that's done by a team now, not me. So it, 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 we all want to feel valuable, but we also need to be able to hand it off. And the last thing you need is a business dependent on one of the partners or something, because that's really not a saleable business. Exactly. Right? It's just no one's going to buy you and say, yeah, I want to inherit all the jobs you were doing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, one of the guys we had on here, 
he, he, he nailed it, man. It, it hit me in the heart, but he said for the first five years of our business, people were basically hiring me who happened to run this business. And he said, I sat there and said, how can I turn this to where people are hiring my business who I happen in which I happen to be the founder of. Nice. And, he, and one is dependent on the business and its ability to deliver a product. And the other is dependent on me as a person. And that was that. So that was even a mindset shift for me. Like, yeah, right now, a lot of people are paying for me and my co-founder and we have our business that supports the two of us, right. but we got to change this to a business that is, yes, this entity solves this problem. And it could be a variety of people who are showing up, you know, yeah. but, and these guys are just the founders of it playing a certain role. So one of the things I'm curious for you is you mentioned in EOS, we call it your unique ability, right? It's when you start to recognize over time, and I think it grows and evolves, sometimes it changes, but uh, the unique ability would be defined as what you're best at and you most enjoy, right? And that we yeah. want to try to delegate and elevate throughout stages to being more and more involved with the things that are inside of our unique ability and delegating the ones that aren't. How would you describe your unique ability? What, what feels like the things that when I'm in this, when I'm in this pocket or if I'm, if I'm handling this part of the business, I feel like that's closer to what I'm best at and I most enjoy. For me, I believe it's um, a lot of it's writing, content creation, speaking, teaching. Cause I like my, I feel like my personal like core purpose is to share, build and preserve wealth and showing others that regardless mm. of where they're at. Um, and one of the ways I do that is through writing or through things like podcasts or something. But so that's kind of like a, like a passion of mine. And, you know, it could be anything from running a charitable event to help the homeless for all the way to helping the wealthy avoid, you know, to maintain a legacy and avoid excess taxes or whatever that is, you know, so I, it runs the gamut there. And I just think there's a lot of misinformation out there and, and things like that, um, that, you know, it's hard for people to decipher. And, you know, I don't really have a dog in that fight. So sometimes I could be a trusted source of, I don't want to say advice, but um, I'm not giving yeah. advice. I'm not giving accounting advice or legal advice, <laughs> but, um, but you get the idea. It's just, uh, just to really have conversations that people don't like to talk about um, or don't talk about enough Yeah. or strategies and things that they just didn't think about, or they, you know, how people will spend more time planning this weekend or a vacation than they do, you know, their retirement or whatever that is, you know, or you know, just, is just, there, things, just life things that they, they get pushed aside, you know, and a lot of times, you know, families don't have family board meetings or, or things like that. Right. Or, um, you know, a lot of families don't, don't sit down and figure out what their core values are for their family or, or, or things like that, you know, and I think some of these things are important. Um, and you, they get overlooked, you know, well, can you speak to those two for a second? What do you mean by family board meetings and a family discovering their <laughs> core values? How did I get on this tangent? <laughs> because I, I, I steered it here. I like this conversation. T take well, me in. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, my children are older, you know, and I have four grandkids, right? Um, but I mean, like, like we have, I have four uh, core values for the family, which is family first, discipline, truth and responsibility. And if you're violating one of these things, you know, you're outside the limits, right? 
Like Greg not being responsible, you're, you're not going to get a lot of love from us, right? So if you're, <laughs> and you know, you're going to encounter things in life that are maybe not putting the family first. They're putting something else first. Uh, just like truth, you know, if if you're not being totally honest about something, then we're going to have a problem. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So and and, and they're just ours or quirky things. But board meetings are important too. Like, like I have a son in his upper thirties, you know, he has his own contracting business and he'll be like, you know, dad, what do I need to do next? What, what should I be planning? You know, what basics do you have in place? Do you have reserves? Do you have this? Do you have insurances? Do you have this? Do you have that? Do you, you know, oh, you know, I want to be an investor. Well, there's seven levels of investor. Where do you think you're at on this? You know, and it's just, I don't know that these conversations are had by many families sometimes mm. and you can tell that because when i was did a little bit of financial planning back in the insurance days you would see people you know money doesn't transfer past two generations right no matter how wealthy it's almost like the founder builds the wealth the next one's yep. the next generation spends the wealth and it. the next generation's a pauper again and you're like what happened there was and you saw that with the vanderbilts versus you know one of the other families, like, you know, the yeah. aunts or the Rockefellers. Rockefellers. Well, the, That's what it was. Yeah, it was, well, the, the difference between the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers, the Rockefellers uh, actually maintained a legacy, whereas the Vanderbilts, it all dissipated, right? So, yeah. you know, what was different? They were both pretty high up there. You know, what happened to one versus the other? And there's a lot of lessons in those stories um, that you can, you know, you can learn. And a lot of it is, is these types of things, um, whether it's family bank concepts, things like that, you know. Yeah, you know, I remember the, Rock, the Rockefellers used to have an angle, something like this. It would go, they would basically insure all the family members for a lot of money. And then if you wanted something, you would go to the family to say, hey, I want to start a business or I want to buy a home, whatever it is. They would say, okay, you can borrow up to the policy limit on you. And if you ever miss a payment, you'll never get a loan again. And if you default, well, the insurance would cover you, but that nest egg never got depleted. Yeah. Right. So they self-insured themselves. They also did something that I, I'm pretty sure yeah. was, was them where they I think they have a yearly meeting that still happens to this day. So at the time it was, you know, eight people or whatever the family was at that yeah, time. It's probably 800. There's yeah, it's now, multiple, so it's... it's multiple generations. Yeah. But if you want any access to the wealth, you, you have to show up to this once a month or sorry, once a year meeting. And they use it for all sorts of stuff like. They'll bring in speakers to talk about financial planning. They'll talk about, you know, our values as a, as Rockefellers or whatever. And right. I thought that's similar to what you're saying. I'm like, man, well, that is- right. Are you having a family board meeting every quarter? Uh, do you go off site and do vacations? I have one buddy that, I mean, they actually go to Guatemala and help this village. The whole family mm. goes and they, you know, they bond that way as well from a charitable sense. So you can, you can encompass a lot of things here with this, you know, family board meeting concept, but it's like, I didn't invent that idea. It's just, you know, just something else to think about. Are we investing enough time with our, you know, next generations and next generations? Do we want to expand on, do I want my grandchildren to carry on some of the thinking and traditions that you might've had of, uh, you know, your family values, that kind of thing. So I, I think it's valuable. I think it's often overlooked, um, and you know, it also puts some boundaries, you know, you'll see, well, you know what, if you're an addict, you're not going to have access. 
if you do something crazy, you're going to be outside the realm of where we play this game of, for our family. So it's back to whatever those core values are for your particular family. I'm not saying you got to do what I do, but you get the idea. Yeah, um, I like it. You know, I'll help anybody in my family to the best of my ability within reason. Yeah. Um, but, you know, families, families, friends are friends. And sometimes we fall off the rails here and there. I'm not saying I'm perfect or anybody else is, but, but I think it is an interesting concept that if people can uh, employ that, it would, it would be beneficial because you hate to see people work really hard, build a business. And then it just all gets, you know, becomes some kind of wealthy welfare or something. Who knows? Yeah, man. It makes me think of, um, something similar my sister did. I have two sisters and the one that's coming to mind uh, is out in Texas. Her husband is a, a senior executive inside of American Airlines. She's an author and, and does a whole bunch of awesome stuff, but their lives felt like they were two totally different kind of professional purposes, right? right? And she started noticing like, man, I feel like we don't have a lot in common besides just like doing our family life, which is great, but they did this core values exercise, you know, and, and yeah. kind of vision for their family and whatever and what emerged were a few things that they were both really passionate about that didn't have to do with either of their careers and that was so cool because she was like well we can do that like let's make time you know twice a year to do that as a family that you care about i care about whether it's money whether it's time and travel whether it's you know impacting the less fortunate or something and that was really cool to strengthen the bond between her and her family and obviously the kids get to benefit from from that but yeah. recognizing like, well, we care about more than just our professional lives. And if we can figure out what that is, we can invest time in that as well and have that as something we do together. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, I think different members of the family have different strengths. Um, and I think different members of the family should could play different roles when it comes to the, you know, maintaining the family and the family's wealth and the family, you know, there's totally not everybody's cut out to do certain pieces of things, you know. And, uh, you know, I think that's important, even if it's just as simple as, well, if something happens to me and my wife, who's going to take care of our kids? Is it my mother-in-law or is it my, or my wife's mother, or, or, or I mean, my yeah. mother-in-law or my mom, you know, or who's going to manage the money? Who's going to manage the kids? Yeah. So they're tough questions, right? But a lot of, you know, a lot of folks, you can see it in our society. They don't want to sit down and do the hard work and answer the hard questions and, and, and think about that. But I don't know. I guess some of it started for me with family date night and stuff like, or, you know, date night with my wife, where we would try to talk about things. I guess two areas that were funny was when we were doing um, like estate planning. Yeah. And I was like, who is this woman? She's giving me answers. I would have never known. Like, you know what I mean? Like when yeah. you're doing all that stuff. And then the other time was we built a vacation home together one time and we were doing all the selections. I'm like, who are you? I don't like any of this stuff you're picking out, you know? <laughs> so yeah, if you want to really learn, know your spouse or significant other, go build a property with them or uh, go do some estate planning. You'll be like, who is this person? You know, we have totally yes. you know, points of view. I was laughing earlier because I was thinking about what you said, that different people in the family have different strengths and can play different roles. And I was laughing because my dad a few years ago had to pull me aside I'm the only son. I have two, I have two sisters. I'm the youngest. I'm the son. And then my sisters are both married. So I have two brother-in-laws that are like brothers. I mean, they've been around me for so long. And he said, Hey, just want to tell you something. You know, I think you'll totally understand, but just want to make sure it doesn't hurt your feelings. But I made so-and-so your brother-in-law like uh, the executor of my will or 
so, something involving like my dad told him where all the passwords were, let him know, like, you know, <laughs> what was going to happen with wealth transfer and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, I just figured you wouldn't want it. And you're not even really, <laughs> you're not even really that skilled at that position. Uh, are you cool with that? And I was like, thank God. I was like, right, you're probably relieved, right? So yeah. I'll, and my brother-in-law, this one in particular loves it. Yeah, he's he was like, at it or something, you know, so. Yeah. Oh man. He's, he's a chief technology officer and he just loves systems and processes and, and all that stuff. And he was like, all right, Mike. And they were having these long meetings about my dad's yeah. desires and the complexity of different assets we have and whatever. And it was such a great example of like, yes, let him play that role. Like, that's <laughs> awesome. You know, well, that's a gift. What your dad's giving you is a gift. Um, you know, I had a grandmom that did the same thing and she, you know, before she passed, she had ironed out literally every detail. And it was like a really a great gift. And, and I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, I like to remind people of that. Like, sure, it's hard work. It, you know, there's a lot of tough questions that you got to encounter and think about. But you're leaving the, the folks behind really a gift. You're yeah. taking those tough decisions and you're, you're making it easier for them. And you're, it, it's a great love that you're showing by having, I'm not saying, believe me, I got more work to do with mine too. So don't feel like it's, yeah ever done or it never changes but i think uh if you can get in that habit of trying to do it at least it it helps those that we leave behind our kids and grandkids or whatever that is parents yeah when you pass on vision and values too man like again we haven't had a lot of these conversations but i had a few that stuck with me and i think it's valuable for this conversation because there might be people like you maybe needing to have the same conversation with their kids like like you've had or like my dad had with me but I won't forget this conversation. He pulled me aside. I came home to visit like mid twenties, late twenties. And I remember this is irrelevant, but I just remember him out washing the car, which he does every Saturday. And he said, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, yeah. He said, this is kind of awkward. Just so you know, I'm not dying. I don't plan to die anytime soon, you know, but he basically said, I don't think we've ever talked about financial stuff and what would happen when I, when I pass away. And so he proceeds to tell me the story that was really beautiful. that I didn't know about my mother's father passing along. They died early of cancer in like their 50s and passed along a, a decent amount of money at that time to my parents. And he wanted to know what they did with that. And that his thought when they got it was, this is not for me to use, this is for me to grow. And he said, right. the only time they ever used it was actually get the deposit on their first house. And then he replenished it. And he's like, I want you to know it started this size and I grew it over my life to this size. And so I'm gonna be leaving you and your sisters this and I just want you to know that, but I also want you to know my heart behind it. It's yours. Do whatever you want with it. But my heart is that you would see it similarly, that this is not something to bank on, count on. I can coast right. and do whatever because I have inheritance coming. He said, my, my, my desire would be that you would grow it too, that you would use it when needed. So never hesitate. If you actually need it, use it, but that you would add to it as something to pass on to the next generation. Yeah. And man, like. It was yeah. just, it's, I got chills right now. Cause it like cast a vision for me. Well, it's that responsibility thing. <laughs> exactly. And I'll tell you what, indirectly, I changed careers two years later, you know, indirectly, I was on a path towards not knowing how to make any money and doing stuff I enjoyed, but not figuring out how to be like really responsible and not just pay the bills. And when he gave me that, I was like, you know what? I want to carry on that tradition. Like I've got to get in the game and I've got to figure out a way to create wealth so that by the time that thing comes, it's a gift. It's a great to have, but I'm going to add to that junk, you know? And so he yeah. shifted. He was a big part of shifting my career path, just giving me a bigger picture than survival, you know? Nice. Yeah. Anyways, 
Very. I, I, I wanted to use that opportunity just to highlight him. I don't know. I've got to talk about him a few times, but uh, it's just something that is, man, I know I'm fortunate to have somebody with that character and, and faith and, and all that kind of stuff, but that, that just really was, was beautiful for us. So, man, thank you for having this conversation. You've got my wheels turning in a whole bunch of cool ways, leverage for the business, even just different ways of, of, of approaching family and legacy. Um, I'm excited that you recognize your purpose because uh, we could use this. We could use more conversations like this. So please, if you, if you got dreams to write uh, or to communicate some of this stuff, uh, don't let it die with you. Yeah, no, there's a lot. We, we talked about a lot of good stuff about, you know, insourcing, outsourcing. You know, I, I had a coach uh, that told me one time, he goes, the more you work in your business, the less it's worth. Hmm. And that stuck with me. It was an interesting perspective. Can you elaborate? What does that mean? Because it, it's back to that, you know, somebody that would, uh, you know, if you go, went to sell, sell your business, if it revolved around you too much, it's not worth anything. So the more you work in your business, the less it's worth. And that's, that's a tough one for a lot of entrepreneurs to get their mind around, you know? Yeah. Especially because the early days require you to work so much in the business that you don't, right. you don't change or recognize when you need to. But, but in the beginning, it's sure it's small and it's you, but then you got to put in systems and processes and, you know, if something's being done, I don't know, 80, 85% good enough, is that good enough that you should be moving on to something else or, you know, work on other aspects of the business, right? Don't let it all revolve around you. Um, you know, it's like the e-myth, right? So, yep. Yeah. I love the e-myth. Okay. I want to value your time and our listeners time. I've already <laughs> sure. kept you 15 minutes over what, oh, uh, sorry. No, that's, I'm apologizing to you. I've kept you 15 minutes longer than I told you I was going to keep you. Uh, so let's do, move to the lightning round questions, and I'll let you get back sure. to your day. So question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Uh, probably the miracle morning idea. You know, the Hal Elrod. Um, actually just saw Hal speak not too long ago. Um, where you incorporate, you know, whether it's meditation, exercise, reading, writing, prayer, affirmations. I think they were the six things or so. Um, and I, I do most of them. And I, I definitely saw a change, you know, where I go to bed a little earlier, I get my sleep, um, and I seem to get more done. And I feel like, hey, even if I only did that morning, the day wasn't a complete loss, like no matter what happens after that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause you know, like when you don't do that, it's almost like looking at what's your ideal day too. That's another way to do it. But, um, I do like the morning concept because, um, I don't know when I do some personal development stuff, it seems to, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it turns move the, I moved the needle, you know, I'm not going to sell it past that, but yeah. Yeah. I like to think of it. I don't do that specifically, but my morning ritual, I like to think of it as like a pregame ritual. Yeah. The idea is like I do something that consistently gets me in the state that I want to be in by the time I start work, that I feel physically awake, spiritually awake, emotionally, you know, right. ready to go versus dragging, dragging into the day like, oh, man, what do we have on the docket? Right. What, what's interesting for me is all this, the successful or super successful folks I know do a version of this right. for the most part. I mean, there's not too many that say my miracle morning is I hit the snooze button and I roll back over and sleep till noon. And Right. I, I, and everybody's got their different reasons. I'm not saying that never happens, but it's pretty rare. <laughs> yeah. So the yeah. thing that clicked for me and the, re the reason why I thought about it as a pregame ritual is ath athletics used to be a huge part of my life. I grew up playing soccer 
uh, played at a very high level. And I remember like how critical my pregame ritual was. And then I started thinking about all the best players I knew in any sport all have pregame rituals. And I was like, what is that? It's almost like every successful person having a morning routine. And it's like, well, they recognize it's really important that when the whistle blows, they are in peak mental and physical, you know, state of mind, state of being. And so they found something that works for them that gets them there. And I was like, that sounds like the morning routine where you can consistently and predictably get yourself to a place where you're focused or energized or whatever. And you've got to have a more productive day than if you're just rolling into the stadium whenever you want to get there. And maybe you're up, maybe you're up drinking all night. And it's like, no, they prepared to get to that moment and turn on like a switch. Right. Right. And then I started looking at Navy SEALs and they're the same way. They have rituals that they call flipping the switch. The certain rituals get them to flip the switch and get into go mode to where they're focused on the mission and that kind of thing. So that's my guess. I could be wrong, but that's my guess. No, at why, you're on it. I think you're on it. Yeah. What, what, what commonality is between all these people? Because the, the, the activities change, right? Yeah. Like Tony, Tony Robbins, cold plunge in the morning. So-and-so is doing yoga. So-and-so is doing that <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And I'm like, so it can't be about the exact thing. It's got to be about what things for you prime your pump. And that could be different for you than it is for me versus the person listening, right? So true, yep. Like you like to journal. It sounds yep. like you like to write and meditate. I had one of the guys on my team was experimenting with his and that put him to sleep. Like it made him anxious and it made him like lethargic just thinking. And so we changed it up and I said, well, what if we just did all body stuff? Like just work out. And yeah. he started doing that and it helped him because he was like, no, oh, I feel energized and ready for the day. And then we moved his, his reflective time to the end of the day. And he really liked that. He's like, man, I love journaling at the end of the day to help me capture, you know, what happened yeah. today and whatever. And I'm like, that's a great example. Someone might like that at the beginning of the day. Someone else might find that counterproductive. And so you just work with it until you find something that consistently gets you charged up and ready to go. That's so true. Dang it. I'm doing it again. I'm, we're, we're, we're going down a rabbit hole and I'm supposed to be letting you, letting you go. All right. Question number two. What is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also, what was the worst advice? <laughs> I, I keep coming back to figuring out what you're good at and outsource the rest. And the worst would probably be doing everything yourself to save money kind of idea, which I think a lot of us have. I'm, I don't think I'm alone there. Yeah. Yep. But so when good. you're standing in line at Home Depot, you're like, really? Is this the best use of my time? Or whatever. I'm nothing against Home Depot. But you get yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Number three, what causes you currently the most stress or worry leading your organization? Probably um, maybe the ability to move quickly or even complacency sometimes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because you get comfortable and and then all of a sudden you, you almost become resistant to any kind of change or, you know, you kind of like tunnel vision into what you're doing and you get complacent. I think that's, you know, you, I, I definitely believe in being nimble and being able to uh, move when it's time to move. Yeah. Uh, I won't go down a rabbit hole, but it just makes me think of a quote we haven't shared on this podcast before, but I don't remember who it was, but they said the, the biggest impediment to a new movement is an old movement. And so they're like, <laughs> the old movement used to be the new movement. And then at some point it becomes normal and you start to like build identity and systems and processes around it and then you become resistant unknowingly to the new movement you know the next right. iteration um and it sounds you similar. Fell in love with the old one 
you fell in love with it right and you're like this is the way we do it it's like yeah but that was an iteration of the thing before like we need to be able to keep yeah, keep, keep growing iterations right all right question number four what is your BHAG your big hairy audacious goal mine is to build to scale with purpose um sure we'd like to be in the ink 500 someday um and by building uh to scale with purpose um you know kind of using our skill sets and our core values um uh, which is a lot around fund management and things like that hopefully to start an impact fund um we're looking at that now and we've done some stuff in the past but we we, we kind of want to do more you know we know that what we're good at in the business sector, can we apply that to the community side of the world? You know, can we, you know, we do a lot of financial engineering, so to speak. Can we help in other ways more in the community? I mean, we do a lot of stuff now, but I, I want to get it to where everybody in the company can feel like we're impacting people and we can all, we can all do it as a team as well. Um, and I want to, you know, impact everybody from our employees, to our vendors, to our investors, and then to the community as well. So, and I, I think there's a, with the current situations that you see with the economic, uh, you know, income gaps that seems to be growing, um, I think there could be a lot that could be done. And I, and, and that's what I mean by an impact fund. And, you know, a lot of times you'll see that whether it's, you know, offering better financing in underserved communities, you know, I don't know, but I think we want to build it. We're, we're working on it now, actually to build that out more and more um, because I think we can do more, you know? Absolutely. I'm excited. That sounds <laughs> awesome. All right. Number five, this is our fun, creative question. So take this however you will. Oh boy. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past, but this is the, but you can only tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window of the DeLorean as you pass by, when are you going back? And what are you telling that younger version of yourself? Oh gosh. So when are you going back? Um, are you, is it last year? I had a guy last week who he went back to eighth grade. <laughs> I don't know, that was what popped up, popped to mind, but when would you go back and what would that younger version of you need to hear? <laughs> I'd probably go back to like high school where, you know, a lot of times I was shy to, I don't know, it could be anything from asking a girl out to whatever. Um, and a lot of times we're afraid to ask, you know, you know how it's like asking you shall receive a lot of times we were, you know, you're worried about what people think or you keep, you know what I mean? You're not really expressing your two true feelings or you don't really say what you want or express what, you know, you know, well, one is figure out what you want, let alone ask for what you want. It, you know, it, it's funny. Like I really didn't know what I wanted, uh, or what I was good at. till I was in my forties and fifties probably. Mm. And, and, you know, it was, it, it actually bugs me. Cause I, I, you know, I have a grandson that's 15 now and I'll be like, so what are you doing? What's, you know, what, what, you know, and I'm all over them. I'm like, you know, what, what do you want to do? What do you like? What do you, and, and it's almost like no one's ever asked you what you like or no one ever asked you. They, it was almost like they didn't care what you like. Just yeah. go to school, get a good job, do, you know, whatever. And no one sat down and like, really, I go, where, who, where's your guidance counselor? I want this guy's phone number i want to talk to this person like how come and it was funny and uh you know a couple of weeks ago he's like yeah i went in and i talked to my guidance counselor and i was like all you know so but i just think it's um 
it's a shame. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like yeah. no one ever asked our kids what they wanted. You know, so it, 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 it's kind of it's kind of interesting. And, you know, I saw just from my, my two sons and they're they're kind of opposites and they like different things. And it, it, it did teach me a lesson. You got to kind of have to let them go their own ways to a point. You know, I mean, it, we can't you know, as parents, you can't let, you know, you want to let them grow up and you want to let them explore and, and do what they're best at and what they like to do and bring them happiness, right? It's not about what I want for them. Sure, I want them to be successful and happy, but I think you got to give them room to grow on their own and, and you got to prepare them for when you're not around. And if we do everything for them, that's not going to happen, right? And, and right. you see a lot of that, especially in today today's society. Um, so I think... Uh, I don't know if I went back in time, it would probably be to know more about what I wanted and what I liked um, when I was probably in high school, because I know when I went to college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So you know, I was, I was an accounting major. I, I don't even know if I knew what accounting was. Um, and, you know, I switched majors in my senior year to management, but it was almost like I was going through the motions or I just thought, going to college would put me in a better place than if I didn't go to college. It wasn't really a deep dive into my skill sets, what I was good at, what I should have been doing, you know, what I could have been doing, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah. I just felt short change there. I think we need to do more work in these areas. I think. Yeah. I mean, man, I picked my major by flipping through the book. Like <laughs> there was a book of potential majors at Clemson university and I had like three emails from somebody at the university saying, you have to declare a major now. Like I need by tomorrow morning. And I was like, whoop, I better start thinking about it. And I just flipped through and I came across business marketing. And I was like, that sounds like a general thing. I'll do that. I'll do that. It's like, I went to my college because girls outnumbered guys nine to one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, like, the, that's kind of decisions we make as kids, right? I mean, we're not... <laughs> I wish I had actually gone. I'm sure there was a guidance counselor. I wish I had gone to them and said, help me think through this. How should I be thinking about my major? Like, right. can you help me get some self-awareness on this? But I didn't. I just kind of coasted through. Well, even paying for it and all that stuff too, you know, getting out and being behind the eight ball because you owe so much money or, or you, right. you took a major that doesn't pay anything or, you know, I just think there's a lot more work that could be done in these areas that leave us, you know, you know, I got it here. That, that, that was part of the story I didn't tell was when I got out of college, I couldn't get a job. So now I got out. you know, imagine that it's like a story you hear people saying today. Right. And I'm not saying today isn't worse. You know, in some ways it is because the cost of college is crazy and the amount of debt, but you know, getting out of school and not being able to get a job and having all kinds of debt, it's not a fun place to be regardless of whether we went back in time or not. It was not a good, not a good thing. Right. So yeah, I just think there's, you know, it's something I think back to that, you know, wish had worked out differently. Now, I mean, I'm grateful for where I'm at and what's happened, but sure. you know what I mean? I think. Sure. You asked the question. That's right. Change. That's right. And that's why we asked the question. We, one, we wanted you to take it however you want. And two, we're not actually asking anybody to change anything because everybody we talked to is like, I wouldn't, but I would tell somebody this, right? Like a younger version. It's like, yeah, yeah that's a younger what, version what, of myself. Yeah. Like really think about, yeah, you know what? I, you spend all this time getting ready for SATs and all these other things, but Hey, what are you really good at? What do you really like to do? And what would you want to do? And if you were a billionaire, what would you do? If you're mm. a billionaire today. What would your wife life look like? Yeah. 
oh, well, yeah. you know, I would travel a lot or I would do this or what. Well, then why don't we focus on that now? Like, why? Why? What are you waiting for? Yeah. And then we can figure yeah. out how to build a life around that if we need build to. Build a life around. Yeah. It's the opposite. Like, like we're, we're doing a lot of this stuff backwards, I think. So good. Dave, man, thank you. <laughs> obviously, obviously, this has been a rich conversation uh, because we both keep losing track of time. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry about that. No apologies. No apologies. I appreciate your time. Thank you for letting us go close to 30 minutes over what we had allotted for this. And I know it was valuable to those listening. Uh, man, thank you. Thank you so much again for being here. No, my pleasure. Th thanks so much. Yes, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.